Good morning and hello again today. Now for the hard part. Government memo warns of divisive next round in the battle with COVID. Brother Kevin Crowley on the continuing need for food parcels. Also, what will our healthcare system look like when this crisis passes? We look at relationships in lockdown with our mental health experts, Enda, Harry and Anne-Marie. Also, three experts on the future of our healthcare system, how restaurants hope to reopen cautiously. An extraordinary story of love, lies and justice on the trail of a Nazi fugitive and how the COVID crisis is affecting Ramadan, which gets underway today. Email today, sor at rte.ie. Text us on 51551 and you can also tweet at today, sor. Well, May the 5th is less than a fortnight away now and what happens in the next phase of the coronavirus crisis is what we'd all like to see outlined. Will cocooning be eased? Will more businesses be allowed to bring back their workers? Will a broader range of shops be open to the public? According to today's Irish Times, the Cabinet has been warned that the next phase will be divisive. That's in a memo described as jaw-dropping. I'm joined by Fia Kelly, Deputy Political Editor of the Irish Times. Uh, Fia, in what way divisive? uh, For the the Cabinet or for the people? For the people, Sean, I think there is anxiety around government that going into lockdown almost, if you like, was the easy part because there was a sense of national unity and the people pulling together to tackle this task. And there is concern that as the government begins to lay out how that lockdown may be eased and exit is in sight, that the consensus that was there as people entered into lockdown may fray. So what the memo to the cabinet said, said that the initial stage is both swift and unprecedented and was experienced by everyone together and in a relatively unified spirit, that this may change as the longer term implications of this pandemic are borne out. And what they mean by the longer term is the longer term implications of economic uh, trouble ahead, tough times, increased, uh, I suppose, sorry, extended social distancing going on for a long time. As we saw this week, mass gatherings not going ahead until September at the earliest. And you just have to look at the language, which is very unusual language for a government memo, if you can put it that way. Usually memos to the cabinet are very dry documents outlining policy areas. The way it outlined the road ahead, I think, took many people who read it. And it says the road ahead includes unemployment, reduced income, increased debt, closure of businesses, reduced educational opportunities, restrictions on movement and social interactions, and ultimately the loss of loved ones. And that is not language you see normally in a cabinet document. As you say, when outlined like that, and it's there in, in, in another newspaper today as well, The Independent, probably The Examiner when I get around to looking at it, but it does make for, for grim reading, Fiuk. It certainly does. And I think it goes back to this, I suppose, anxiety around government about the road, road ahead. The discussion at the Cabinet the other day, apparently about the exit and how we may exit in stages this lockdown. Well, there wasn't much by way of massive detail. There was said to be a large degree of caution on behalf of all ministers that they realised the magnitude of what they're dealing with. That going in was a public health exercise led by public health advice. Now, they will probably still be led by public health advice, but the calls and the choices now are probably going to fall on the the, the shoulders of politicians mostly. And there is also an acute acknowledgement in the civil service in particular about the fact that this government, while constitutionally is the government in effect, is a caretaker government. And there's another curious passage in that memo, which again, it's not something you'd see ordinarily in a government memo. It says, the issue of government formation and the role of the Oireachtas is outside the remit of this note. However, given the scale and impact of the decisions that will have to be taken in the coming months, it would be important that measures are put in place to enable 
proper political debate and public accountability. Now it's saying oversight is needed. But if you marry that with what Martin Fraser, the Secretary General of the government, said to party leaders a couple of weeks ago, that more legislation could be needed, there's that problem we know about with the Shannon not being constituted, you can kind of detect the unease amongst the civil service about the magnitude of the decisions ahead and a government in place that is doesn't have a mandate off the doll, effectively. Is there a sense, though, among some of the, the senior politicians uh, around the Cabinet table that um, somehow the, the decision-making process has been, I won't say fully outsourced to the experts. Certainly you could say that in the case of uh, the Chief Medical Officer. He's, his writ seems to run. Uh, but other matters as well? There is an element that, yes, they have taken their lead from public health advice that... I suppose they followed a pattern, they seem to have followed a pattern that, that, that held across Europe to date. So we've been, in a way for the politicians, it's been uh, instructive to watch what's happened in Europe. So the income supports that we introduced were a model that was followed in Denmark and other countries. We can see our politicians talking about looking at Denmark and other countries which are easing restrictions now and perhaps following their model. And yes, it was the case that they are following the public, National Public Health Emergency Team, but the decisions will probably have to be made by politicians yeah. from now on. We got a taste of that this week with the instruction on mass gatherings. That was the politicians moving ahead of NFET. Now, what about other uh, elements via travel restrictions? Uh, I know Tony Hulham was saying, no anticipatory measures, please. We don't know where we'll be. We're not there yet uh, in regard to lifting uh, restrictions. But what kind of moves or tweaks, as some people are saying, uh, should we perhaps be looking forward to with, a, with, with some, some hope? Well, I think the, 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 one of the overriding concerns of people in government has been the issue of cocooning and the mental health of people who are over 70 having to stay in their homes. They have been thinking about this for a while and it possibly will be the case that similar to the way supermarkets operate now that you could see a couple of hours in the morning or of a day where people who are over 70 can leave the house to exercise and maybe come back in again when that period is over. Again, talking about people being at home and nothing to do DIY stores again that's been widely flagged as well and then the other issue is this two kilometer limit so that we're probably looking at that being extended in in, in some way perhaps that people maybe travel a bit further away from their home to do physical exercise and not forget you can travel further than two kilometers now if you're going for food and other issues but that that two kilometer radius is being strictly enforced if you're doing exercise maybe a bit of loosening there one thing where we're likely to see tightening is on travel in and out of the country. We saw last week the controversy around Keelings that this memo also talked about this idea that everybody entering Ireland would have to self-isolate for 14 days rather than the current position where you restrict your movements. In effect, and what the memo said, is that everybody entering the country would be treated as if they have coronavirus. They would have to self-isolate for 14 days and that would be done as a way of making sure the ports of entry aren't a kind of permeable uh, entry point. What it also talked about was some sort of consultation with Northern Ireland. wasn't qu- quite clear on what that would be. My understanding is it's not the expectation that North and South would jump together. It's just that Dublin doesn't want Belfast taken by surprise when these movements or when these measures are announced. OK, Fia Kelly, Deputy Political Editor of the Irish Times, thank you very much indeed for joining us. On the line now, Piers Doherty, Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson, and Patrick O'Donovan, Minister of State at the Department of Finance, Public Expenditure and Reform. One thing um, that uh, was mentioned uh, yesterday by the, the Minister for Finance, Patrick O'Donovan, uh, your, your senior colleague, was that the government will consider tapering and changing the special €350 Euro a week pandemic payment when the initial 12-week period runs out in mid-June. So that would suggest that there may be... Th- 
th- this may be part of the divisiveness that uh, is being warned against in this memo. Well, uh, good morning, Sean. Well, <clears throat> first of all, I think the Minister for Finance went on to say that, uh, you know, it's important to find out that in terms of the country's finances uh, and the current uh, programmes that are in place, uh, that the country is well capable of sustaining the, the programmes that were introduced, both in terms uh, of the supports for businesses and people um, at home that aren't able to work anymore. So the country is in a good state in terms uh, of our public finances. The next phase of this, obviously, will be unwinding. Now, while I'm not privy to, to Cabinet papers and I'm not a member of the Cabinet subcommittee, <clears throat> I think it, it's fair to say that everything associated with coronavirus up to now has been jaw-dropping. Uh, so, I mean, to, to be suggesting that, you know, this, this memo alone is the most shocking thing that has come out, uh, I think, to be honest about it, what people are, are anxious to see is, first of all, um, that our uh, hospitals c- continue to be able to cope with the numbers that are being admitted, that our ICU units continue to be able to cope with the numbers that are being admitted, and that the measures that are uh, that the government introduced are continue to be able to see to be work. So from now on, uh, from the start, we always said that any changes that we were going to make, whether they were introductory changes or changes that were taken out, would be done on the advice of the National Public Health Advisory Team. That isn't changing, and that's the continued message from the government. And obviously what we want to get to is to look at a picture after the 5th of May. Indeed. And we're doing so, as the Taoiseach said the other night on prime time, looking at other countries like the Czech Republic and Denmark, see how they get on first before we jump to any conclusions and jump to any decisions. Pierre Starty, uh, would you were you concerned uh, about uh, the Minister uh, Pascal Dunhu referring to tapering and changing that uh, 350 euro pandemic payment? Yeah, yes, it would be obviously both the wage subsidy scheme and the uh, pop payments uh, last for 12 weeks. We argued at the time privately with Pascal Donoghue and we we called for uh, an introduction of a wage subsidy scheme. We we argued that it should be over a 20-week period uh, and then reviewed at the end of that period. Uh, I know IBEC argued for the same length. I think uh, the trade unions argued for the same length of time. Look, we see from the stability programme update, Sean, that at the end of this year, without interventions, there's going to be over a quarter of a million people unemployed as a result of the COVID pandemic. Uh, and into the end of 2021, there will be over 100,000 additional unemployed uh, as a result of the, the pandemic. So we need to ensure that supports are there. Uh, the management of the economic fallout is about political choices. And for us, it is very clear that those who have lost their jobs need to be supported. And in my view, the best way of doing that is actually fixing the wage subsidy scheme. There are still flaws in it. The minister has gone uh, a, a part of the way in addressing those flaws um, last week with his announcement that, that we support, but we need him to go further because we've got now twice as many people on the pandemic unemployment payment than there are availing of the wage subsidy scheme. And that is not good for the economy. It's not good for businesses because we need these employees attached to the employers so that when we are ready uh, to reawaken the economy, uh, that they can go naturally back into their, their places of work. So the way to do that is making sure that those that are on the lower paid uh, aren't worse off because of the wage subsidy scheme, and that's what's happening at the minute. What do you say to that, Patrick O'Donovan? Well, look, I mean, there's a lot of what Pierce says I agree with, but it's kind of stating the obvious. I mean, the, the Department of Finance themselves, uh, uh, the day before yesterday, were making it very clear that the number of people that are unemployed in the country has ballooned overnight and it is, you know, is expected to exceed 22%. Uh, and will probably fall back at the end of the year to 14%. The measures that we've introduced are costing a half a billion euros a week. We will run a deficit at the end of the year of about 23 billion. There's over 40,000 companies uh, already 
um, getting support from the government in order to make sure that the link between the employer and the employee is sustained. So what we're doing in Ireland, you know, isn't unique uh, in terms of the supports that, that we've made available, and we made them available very quickly. Uh, and we're, we've said, you know, and the NTMA has said it, the Department of Finance has said it, that the decisions that the government made in the last number of years in terms of making sure that our finances were sound, that we ran a budget surplus, that we brought in measures that were initially identified as Brexit measures in the event of an ordeal Brexit, a lot of which, in fairness, Pierce opposed, uh, have now led to a situation where we are able to borrow, where we did have a surplus, but we're now going to run a massive deficit at the end of the year. But yeah, for, just... ordinary people, for ordinary people looking into Sean, and I'm dealing with them every day of the week, same as Pierce. They also realised that, you know, and they asked the questions um, in terms of the ability of the country's finances to be able to sustain this. But the reality is that the quicker that we're able to make sure that the linkages between people at work and the sustainability of that, while taking advice from public health and allowing the economy to gradually begin to awaken again, will get us to a situation where the Department of Finance forecast that we will get uh, the situation more under control next year. But this is going to be a slow process because Indeed. at the end of the day, we have a virus at the middle of it, uh, the, the, the expense of it, which we're still trying to contain. Pierce Doherty, uh, the two other big parties, aside from your own, uh, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil, uh, in their draft uh, memo or their draft agreement uh, for the, uh, the framework document that they're uh, hoping will persuade other parties to join them in government, they say that there was going to be no income tax increases, no no welfare cuts. Now, do you think, given the kind of extra expenditure that is required, uh, which you support, that that can be done and sustained without tax increases of some sort? Well, I think when you read their document, and it's it's fanciful and it, to say the least, but they also make it very clear that they're going to be uh, slaves to the fiscal rules. Uh, the stability programme update yeah, that was released this week has five mentions of the fact that we will be in the excessive deficit procedure. So for people out there who want to know what that is, that means we're going back into a procedure that we went into in 2009 where the European Commission actually dictates to you how you reduce the deficit and takes that power away from elected representatives. So that battle has to be fought. That battle has to be won at European level because what is not needed now is the return for austerity. And I think that many people who listen to Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil have sharp memories of how they dealt with the last crisis, which deepened it, which lengthened it which the scars are still to be felt in, in regions right across the state, but also in relation to many households who have still have sons and daughters that are uh, that have immigrated and not returned home. So what we need is actually stimulus, which means that the deficit is actually going to be bigger than the €23 billion euro figure because we need to invest in capital investment. We need to invest in housing. We need to invest in the regions. We need to invest in the universal healthcare system so that we have the capacity that if this pandemic were to re-emerge uh, or even in a different form, that we are not dealing with the crisis situation so, that this government was forced to yeah, pa- Patrick, pa- sure Patrick O'Donovan, to quote the lead story headline in the examiner, uh, Varadkar says, EU must unleash financial firepower. Now, is that where a big part of the solution lies, perhaps via these corona bonds that have been spoken about? Yeah, well, first of all, Sean, uh, Pierce omitted to say that, you know, that before, before the coronavirus hit the country with the largest number of people ever implied in the state, and we came out of the bailout period in the quickest of any of the countries that went into it, thanks to the economic policy. Yeah, we heard all that before the 8th of February. Can we just talk yeah, about today? It, yeah, but it is important to point out that, you know, if we contrast the current economic situation to the previous one, they're not the same because the current economic situation is not a virus in a bank. 
this is a virus across the public health which is affecting citizens and it is indiscriminate as to how it's affecting them. And the numbers across the European Union are, are stark. And the Taoiseach pointed out yesterday, and I think he's about, he will do the same thing today, that this is about how Europe responds now to European citizens' needs that is indiscriminate in terms of the numbers of people that have been impacted and how businesses' lives have been lost uh, businesses have folded and people have been left in, in a dire situation. So the Taoiseach is spelling out, I think, with, with other EU leaders today, that this is probably going to be the, one of the biggest tests to European integration since the foundation of the European coal and steel community way back in 1957, because it's about European solidarity. And it will mean that, you know, unlike the last crisis, uh, the strength of the European Union this time around is going to be in terms of how we respond to our weakest uh, colleagues, and bear in mind, Ireland is a rich country now as, uh, under EU definitions. So the EU budget can only be um, deployed based on the amount of money that's paid in by the member states. It doesn't have a, you know, a stash of cash. So the European budget is going to be uh, dependent on that. And we as a, a net uh, contributor to, to the European uh, budget are going to have to obviously have a look as well as ourselves domestically as to how we respond um, to the needs yeah, of other EU countries and how the EU is going to respond to the EU as a whole. Pierre Starty, uh, there seems to be a serious resistance to the, to the idea of uh, debt mutualisation uh, at EU level and that's a, that's a big stumbling block for, for a country like Ireland, isn't it? It is, um, and I think Patrick misses the point in relation to what's happening in Europe and what the, the debate is, and in fairness, I, I support the idea, I support the concept, uh, we called for it in relation to what Ireland's supporting in terms of debt mutualisation, but it also has to go further than that. It, what we want to see, and, and it can be done in a variety of ways, for example, the ESM could be repurposed to do this, which is able to raise money in the international markets. It could be underpinned by the ECB then, who's willing to buy those bonds in the in the secondary market but what we need is bonds that are of le- long duration that's bonds that are 50 to 100 years long it means that there are low interest rates which would happen through debt mutualization but it also means that it doesn't come with the conditionality of austerity which unfortunately the ESM uh, up until now does come with and it needs to have it needs to be available to deal with three specific areas one the additional costs of member states on on public health secondly the automatic stabilizers of social welfare payments and wage subsidy schemes and the third and crucial thing is the type of stimulus the type of investment we're going to need to reboot the economy uh, later on this year and that's that's uh, crucial that we win this battle because by winning this battle it allows us to do the necessary things later on in the years in terms of supporting families, supporting incomes and supporting jobs. And there's a lot that needs to be done, including grants for small businesses, including keeping certain sectors which won't be back in, and we won't want back at full swing on a lifeline for a period of time and also making sure that we can restart businesses in the, in the meantime. Just one other question uh, to you, Patrick O'Donovan. Um, it seems that uh, the government hasn't sorted out the childcare for healthcare workers problem. Nurses have given the latest plan a big thumbs down. It's only people who have a partner or other half working in the public sector uh, can get this support. Yeah, and look, I listened to yesterday to, to, to the healthcare workers that you had on, Sean, and the Taoiseach was asked about this yesterday afternoon and the public health, public um, worker element of it, where there's two public workers uh, element of it seems to have been resolved, but he still said that there's an outstanding issue. Um, and it is a big frustration. Look, I have relations myself in the in the public health system, and it is a big frustration for people. Um, it is something that NIFID are trying to uh, make sure can be sorted. But look, as has been said on your programme, and you said it yourself yesterday, umpteen times this has been trashed out. There continues to be a risk element associated with it as to how do you make sure 
that the children of the healthcare workers are not um, put at risk, that the healthcare worker is not put at risk, and that the childcare worker is not put at risk. There's a triangle there that's difficult to square, but the Taoiseach has said that, you know, that he is anxious to try to see if some sort of resolution can be put to it. Pierce Doherty, quick response on that. Yeah, look, we've raised this directly with the Taoiseach myself as well um, two weeks ago. The problem here is the Taoiseach continues to raise expectations in relation to this year. I think on five or six different occasions they've now said that they were really ready to announce this scheme they've basically haven't, it's fallen flat in its face. And, you know, we give a lot of platitudes and, and all the rest to, to frontline workers, and, and rightly so. They are our heroes, but they need to be supported. And I think they deserve better from government than uh, statements <laughs> and then just being, blaming it on an effort for not being able to do what they've announced on, on five different occasions. OK, we'll leave it there. My thanks to you both, Pierce Doherty, Latterday, uh, Sinn Féin, Finance Spokesperson, Patrick O'Donovan, Minister of State at the Department of Finance, Public Expenditure and Reform. We'll be talking to Brother Kevin Crowley of the Capuchin Day Centre about the extra demand for the services he provides after this break.